Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we ask you to be here with us this morning, and we trust that you are here. May my words be your words, and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Just before the climactic basketball game at the end of Hoosiers, the greatest sports film ever made, when the tiny farm boys from Hickory, terrifyingly nicknamed the Acorns, just, about, just as they're about to go up against the big giant players of South Bend Central in the Indiana State High School Championship game, the Hickory High team chaplain comes into the locker room and quotes to them from 1 Samuel 17, verse 49, with quietly inspirational music swelling in the background. He says, And David put his hand in the bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on the head, and he fell to the ground. And the whole team says, Amen. Now, if I had been the screenwriter, I would have added the King James version of verse 50, which says, So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone, and smote the Philistine and slew him. But hey, far be it from me to try to improve Hoosiers. Hoosiers is perfect just the way it is. But the implication here is pretty clear, right? And it's how we all normally think about the David and Goliath story. In mismatched contests, there is a David and a Goliath, and with God's help, the David can win. Many of us have probably been encouraged to think about the Goliaths in our own lives and how we might use the power of God to overcome them. Do you notice, by the way, that we're always David? And I've never heard anybody say, consider the Davids in your life and watch out that they don't smite you. (laughs) In our David and Goliath stories, we are always the David. And so naturally, when we think about David and Goliath, we sort of think of it as the, the narrative equivalent to Philippians 4.13, which you know, you may not know the reference, but you know the verse, countless people I know have it tattooed on themselves or turned into artwork in their home or at least underlined six or seven times in their Bibles, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And when we read the David and Goliath story, this is what we think. I, David with God's help, can defeat Goliath. And in Hoosiers, of course, it works out fine. Jimmy Chitwood makes the last second shot, and all is right in Hickory, if not the world. David wins. Hickory can do all things, including defeat South Bend Central. But what about outside the movie theater? What about in the real world? In the real world, the story is usually different. In the real world, Goliath wins a lot. We can so often feel overcome by the Goliaths in our lives. Our marriages crumble. Our friendships end. 
our promotions are denied. When we're the underdogs, whether at home or at the office or wherever, when we're the underdogs, we usually lose. Does that make Philippians 4.13 a lie? So we can't do all things through Christ who strengthens us? Well, before we say something like that, let's look at a little more of what the Bible has to say about seemingly insurmountable struggles. Because it would be easy, I think, to compare Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, with a verse like 2 Corinthians 12.7-10, both written by Paul, seemingly mutually exclusive. In this section of 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing about the things about which he would be willing to brag. And he says something fascinating. He says that he'd more readily brag about his weaknesses than about his strengths. And he then gives an illustration. He says, To keep me from becoming conceited, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. Three times I pleaded with God about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So Paul prays for this thorn, this struggle to be taken away from him. He begs God to help him defeat this Goliath in his life. But the answer is no. God tells Paul that this Goliath will stay to teach Paul something about God's provision for him. That when Paul is shown to be weak, God will be revealed to be strong. So which is it? Can Paul do all things through Christ who strengthens him? Or is God going to leave him in hardship to show that his power is made perfect in weakness? Well, it's both. Trick question. And our lesson from Mark chapter 4, Jesus stilling the storm, perfectly explains how. When evening had come, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. That's how our new revised standard version begins the story. I'll finish it by reading Sally Lloyd-Jones's moving version from the Jesus Storybook Bible. This is how... Sally writes it. And in the middle of the storm, Jesus was sleeping. Now, Jesus' friends had been fishermen all their lives, 
But in all their years fishing on this lake, they had never once seen a storm like this one. No matter how hard they struggled with their ropes and sails, they couldn't control their boat. The storm was too big for them. But the storm wasn't too big for Jesus. Help, they screamed. Wake up, quick, Jesus. Jesus opened his eyes. Rescue us, save us, they shrieked. Don't you care? Of course, Jesus cared. This was the very reason he had come, to rescue them, to save them. Jesus stood up and spoke to the storm. Hush, he said. That's all. And the strangest thing happened. The wind and the waves recognized Jesus' voice. They had heard it before, of course. It was the same voice that made them in the very beginning. They listened to Jesus and they did what he said. Immediately the wind stopped. The water calmed down. It glittered innocently in the moonlight and lapped quietly against the side of the boat as if nothing had happened. The little boat bobbed gently up and down. There was a deep stillness and a great quiet all around. Then Jesus turned to his wind-torn friends. Why were you scared? He asked. Did you forget who I am? Did you believe your fears instead of me? Jesus' friends were quiet. As quiet as the wind and the waves, and into their hearts came a different kind of storm. What kind of man is this? They asked themselves anxiously. Even the wind and the waves obey him. They didn't understand. They didn't realize yet that Jesus was the Son of God. Jesus' friends had been so afraid, they had only seen the big waves. They had forgotten that if Jesus was with them, they had nothing to be afraid of. No matter how small their boat or how big their storm. If Jesus is with you, you have nothing to be afraid of. No matter how big your Goliath, no matter how firmly set your thorn, this is what I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me really means. When Paul writes that sentence, it comes after his claim, his incredible claim that he can be satisfied no matter what is happening to him, good or bad. In Philippians 4.12, the verse immediately before the famous, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Paul says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Do you hear what he's saying? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
I can survive any storm because Christ wins the battle for me. I have a champion, someone who fights in my place. I'm huddled, terrified in the boat while Jesus commands the wind and the waves. So Paul's not actually talking about his accomplishments. He's talking about Christ's. Christ fights for him. Jesus Jesus battles the storm and wins. And the disciples, who just a moment ago were cowering, terrified, and screaming in the boat, now bask and rest in the results of Christ's victory. And the exact same thing happens when David slays Goliath. You see, the profundity of the David and Goliath story isn't the matchup of a David versus a Goliath, an underdog versus a huge favorite. What David and Goliath engage in here is what's called champion warfare, which is exactly what it sounds like, and it goes just like it goes in the David and Goliath story. When two armies face off, rather than one horde fighting the other horde until one side is overwhelmingly slaughtered and surrenders, each side selects a champion, and the champions do battle on behalf of their respective armies. This is the part that's meaningful for us. The champion's victory is credited to his army without them ever having to join the fight. This is the profound image of the duel between David and Goliath. David acts on behalf of his terrified and passive countrymen, winning a battle for them. Here's the secret to understanding the David and Goliath story. You're not David. You're the cowering Israelite army. Jesus is David. Or More properly, David's victory on behalf of the overmatched Israelites points directly to Christ's victory for you. You're not David using the power of God to slay the Goliaths in your life. You're the frightened Israelite who gets to enjoy David's victory. David fights on behalf of his passive people. So does Jesus. Both of these stories, Jesus' stilling of the storm and David's defeat of Goliath, prefigure Jesus' imputation, his free giving of his goodness to sinners on the cross. He wins and you get the victory. So, if the battle isn't really between you and the Goliaths in your life, what is it? Who's actually fighting here? What's this war really about? Well, it turns out that if we think of the battle as us against the struggles in our lives, we're thinking on a scale that's way too small. In the Good Friday liturgy that we observe 
every year, the service where we remember the death of Christ on the cross for us, that service's final prayer depicts the real struggle. This is what we pray at the end of our Good Friday service every year. We pray this, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, we pray you to set your passion, cross, and death between your judgment and our souls, now and in the hour of our death. Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, we pray you to set your passion, cross, and death between your judgment and our souls. This prayer reveals the true battlefield and gives the proper context to the David and Goliath story. David is Christ's passion, cross, and death, standing between God's judgment, Goliath, and our souls. And it only takes one stone for Christ to win that fight. One word to hush the storm. One death to save the world. Jesus on the cross for you. The major battle of your life, in fact, the only ultimate battle of your life, isn't between you and your Goliaths. It's between your soul and God's judgment, between the you that God has called you to be and the you you actually are. But God has set his own son's passion, cross, and death between his judgment. And our souls. Just as David stood between Israelites and Goliath, Jesus stands for you. He has stilled the storms with one word, He has killed the Philistine with one stone, and Jesus Christ, in your place, hung on the cross and proclaimed His victory with one shout It is finished. And in him, that triumph is yours. Amen.